necessarily represent the opinions of UTV or its affiliates. Good afternoon and welcome to the revolution. It is Friday, July 3rd, 2020. I want to get right off the bat, send out one birthday greeting I was asked to send out, and that was to an amazing daughter, Amanda Murphy. Happy birthday to you, coming from your mom, wishing you hundreds more. There you go, right? Today is, like I said, Friday the 3rd. We are now six days away from opening up a country. And we are going to, in true counterintuitive fashion, attempt to run before we can crawl or walk a country that is under a state of emergency, thereby crippling it in terms of its ability to operate and benefit from tourism, is now going to force tourism openings. A country that still has a Minister of Health who up to yesterday and the day before had still not finalized the protocols for the opening of the country for tourists, especially knowing that there are many of them are coming from the United States, which is in the middle of another surge or second wave, over 19 states, over 127,000 dead, over 2 million with cases. And we are ready to bring these people in while St. Lucians are still stuck, unable to get into the country. We still are now, we're now hearing that quarantine might have to be paid for. I'll be curious to know what happens if a St. Lucian lands and is unable to pay for for quarantine what do you do do you pay for them to go back who pays for that and how do they sleep on the airport for 14 days i'm curious but we haven't finalized the protocols and yet we already have a date so just imagine saying that you're going to start your accounting company but you haven't gotten you haven't passed your acca you haven't passed the exams to become a qualified accountant and yet funnily enough nobody's asking the burning question how is it that the hotels like sandals and the other ones that are selected are able to train their people and prepare their people to observe protocols if the ministry itself also does not has not prescribed and finalized those protocols so if standard standard is here and the ministry is only here. That's all well and good. But what if, what if the ministry standard is here? What happens? The sandals not open or any of the other hotels? I'm curious. Is this, does this feel like it's another cart before the horse situation? Are we in a situation where the hotels that are privately owned are knowing that only 15 cents out of every dollar actually stays in the country from tourism. And it's going to be even less because taxi drivers cannot be engaged in the same way because these people are coming down and will not be able to travel as freely as they want to. We Don't forget, they are coming into a country that's still in a state of emergency. They can't go to the restaurants they want to. They can't go to the social events because mass crowd gatherings are not there. They can't go to those different tours because even if the tours sanitize the zip lines they could literally go and put alcozan on all the leaves on the trees in denry or in babono even when you want to go for a zip line and don't forget these people are now stuck in an enclave where they are literally coming to quarantine in saint lucia 
If ever St. Lucia became an all-inclusive um, enclave for tourists, now is it. And yet we're putting ourselves at that level of risk, knowing that we have not augmented or even gotten our healthcare services up to standard with regard to the amount of ventilators that we need on island. And again, they can say I'm lying, it's up to them. For our population of 170,000, to be safe with ventilators, we needed 200. To have a fighting chance, we needed 100. Right now, we have five on island and four on order, which gives us a total of nine if the other four get here. So, if you're comfortable with that, because you come with the Russell Lake, the Andre Paul, the Timothy Polio, and the rest of the UWP hackery talking points, well, you have 15,000 people out of work. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, maybe if you give them stimulus. Instead of CACADA, NIC, bottlenecks that are not coming through. Maybe if you actually took the money from the, from, from the IMF that was meant for them and gave it to them, then maybe they could have survived or sheltered this storm for the next three, four, five months. Maybe there could have been some sort of even retraining initiative, retooling initiative, predicated on donut economics, sustainable economics. Not just because what happens if the swine flu that's coming out of China now causes another pandemic? We shut back down again. What happens if like St. Croix, when after we open up, we get a spike of cases? We just announced three, three new cases yesterday. What happens if we reach 50, 60 and people start dying? Then we shut back down again. Isn't that a double whammy? Have we not compounded our failure to adapt? Semperfy, like the Marines say, over, adapt to overcome? But nonetheless, I shall digress. And let's move now to the national youth policy. Mr. Speaker, our government's philosophy has been to make a fundamental shift from viewing the youth as a problem to one in which we place greater emphasis on their empowerment and direct participation as partners in the economic and social development of this nation. Again, and consistent with our overall approach, we facilitated a lengthy and broad-based consultative process that resulted in the formulation of a national youth policy. This, along with our overall medium-term development strategy, will serve as the cornerstone of our collective efforts at collaboration and engagement. Mr. Speaker, it saddened me when I saw a Vice President of the NYC on his Facebook page said, and I quote, Government must stop playing politics with the national youth policy. The policy review process concluded in 2016 through technical support from the Commonwealth Secretariat. A final document was rejected by Cabinet in 2019 on the basis that it did not reflect present needs. Unquote. The words of an NYC Vice President. Government must stop playing politics with the national youth policy. The policy review process concluded in 2016 through technical support from the Commonwealth Secretariat. A final document was rejected by Cabinet in 2019 on the basis that it did not reflect present needs. Unquote. The words of an NYC Vice President. The July 1, 2020 press release from the National Youth Council calls for the ratification of the National Youth Policy, a document which was drafted some three years ago. The call comes after comments made by Prime Minister Alan Chastney on June 23rd, where he made reference to the national youth policy. If you follow youth development in St. Lucia, you would know that the last approved youth policy dates as far back as 2000. 
and that was under the auspices of the Ministry of Social Transformation, Youth and Sports at the time. Um, we began consultations for the drafting of a new youth policy back in 2015, and that was led by Ms. Dwinette Eversley, um, who is well-respected throughout the Commonwealth. Now, it is our understanding that the final version of that youth policy, which was dated 2018 to 2023, was presented to the Cabinet of Ministers um, during June of last year and was not accepted. Alfred says that the youth policy is supposed to lay out the priority areas for youth. He says that given that it has been a year since the policy was rejected by Cabinet, NYC has several questions. One, why it was rejected? Because, of course, if it was rejected, that would mean that there are some gaps in the youth policy. So we want to know what these gaps are that would prevent that document from being ratified. Um, secondly, we would want to know since it has not gone through the ratification process a year later, what next for the youth policy? Because that document is important in terms of guiding youth development in St. Lucia. And that is something that young people have been um, very looking forward to a lot um, over the past year. So we need to know what next in terms of steps. And we also want to get an idea of the government's plan, their philosophies for youth development in St. Lucia in the absence of a functional and an approved national youth policy that would guide the programs and initiatives as it relates to youth development. The NYC is currently requesting to meet with Prime Minister Alan Chastney and Youth Minister Edmund Estefan to chart their way forward for the island's youth. Alfred explained that the consultative process which began in 2015 was quite extensive and involved going out into the communities, schools and even the Borderlake Correctional Facility to find out what priority areas for youth were. However, the NYC was made aware that the draft policy did not seem to meet the needs of St. Lucia's youth. So how did the NYC feel when the Prime Minister referred to the policy as one of the current administration's many accomplishments? We definitely took issue with the comments given that the national youth policy was stated as, a, stated as an achievement and we believe that it cannot be considered as an achievement if it has not been approved and it has not, been, it has not begun to really circulate among the young people of St. Lucia. We've not began to see the benefits of the youth policy because we do see a lot of benefit in a lot of the programs and initiatives and thematic areas that are listed in the youth policy. That is why we're asking if there are gaps in that youth policy, how do we work to ensure that these gaps are filled and that we present a document to the young people of St. Lucia that would be worthy of um, representing them? Last week, reporters asked Youth Minister Edmund Estefan about the status of the national youth policy. The cabinet mandate was that there was a need for more consultation. Um, in particular, a, a number of persons were recommended to review certain aspects of the policy, and which is now ongoing. So this is where we are at. Um, cabinet decided that there were a few things in the policy that it wanted reviewed and or, or continuous assessment on and this is happening now. 
According to the minister, there is not yet any short timeline for when that policy may be ratified. The government rejects the youth policy yet, yet boasts about how much progress it has made in accepting the youth policy. So after you are disenfranchising the youth, you're boasting as if you are for the youth. Yep, elections are around, although these guys would lie any day, any day. Now, I want to continue on the youth theme, and I want to go to Sufre, and I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. For those who don't know, most of the, most of the South gets undercovered and underreported when it comes to news. Most stations are based in the North, except for GVD-TV, I think, is in Viewfort. But almost all of the other stations are in the North, from NBC, Choice, HTS, DBS, UTV, and so on. Now, with all of these stations... Um, those that do do news programs, a lot of the time they, they, the, the reporter has to have a vehicle, they give a fuel allowance, and in terms of coverage, they have to get their news stories hot and fresh. So by 2, 3, 4 o'clock, they have to be back in studio editing. They have to not only edit, but they have to put the sound and everything together. And then the story comes out by 6, 7 o'clock, depending on what station. Now, whereas most stations give a vehicle allowance, or there's a vehicle like HTS or Hot 7 or whatever, and they go around, a lot of times there's also a culture of reticence in terms of the South. Once you get past Goodlands on the Mon, people are more reluctant generally to talk, generally. I don't want to give a, over a blanket statement, but it's just been even my experience when I've done Lucians and when I myself have gone out to get information with regard to news and so on. It's just not like where in the middle of Castries has been a promulgation of street vibes and a consistent interaction so people get accustomed to, to that culture. Although it is becoming a lot better because of social media and cell phones, people are speaking out more, and I'm very thankful for that. That said... When it comes to coverage of issues in terms of the South, you don't get a fair coverage. The South is disenfranchised and underreported, at least that's my opinion. Now that said, in Sufre, whether you know it or not, there has been a spate of gun violence or gun-related incidents. And in response to that, a gentleman by the name of Antonius Hippolyte, not Emma Hippolyte, but Antonia Hippolyte, who also did want to vie for the candidacy to run the Sufra seat. And a number of other people in the community wanted to do a walk. They wanted to do a walk um, to promote anti-violence. Now, we're under a state of emergency, so mass crowd events are prohibited. But also, given the state of violence in Sufre in terms of gun violence, they approached the police after many of them had mobilized. And unfortunately, because elections are on the corner, you will see why some people will say, well, it's a Labour Party initiative. But the truth is that it was a number of young people and people in general who wanted to do this walk. So I want to show you this first, um, first photo of the, the walk that they, that they said they were going to have. If you can put that up on screen. So, fun walk, July 5th. Right. Let us walk against the recent gun violence in our community. If I can even expand that a little bit so people can see it a bit better. Right. So if we can blow it up right. So people can see that this is a fun walk. And in an effort to actually de-emphasize the political um, undertones that some people were inferring in the whole thing. Um, it was, you see, the walk starts from Soufre, goes back to Belfort Gap through Fonsejac and back. All participants are asked to wear something blue 
as blue is the color of peace. Note well, not red, not yellow, but to wear something blue. There is no political party, even the new party has not selected a color. So blue is also a color in our flag, depending on the shade. I do not know if you get away with cerulean or navy blue or whatever, royal blue and so on. And we can come off the screen with that. But in an effort to also make sure that it was not seen to be political, because at the end of the day, gun violence affects everybody, um, the organizers actually invited the MP, Herod Stanislaus, to even speak at this particular thing in a bipartisan or non-partisan way. Nonetheless, um, Herod and company, even though these um, young people got permission from the Sufre police station, they were then, um, in the last day or so, told that they would have to go through the chief medical officer, whom they wrote to and communicated with, and she said that she cannot allow a mass crowd event to happen now. Now, it is within the CMO's judgment to allow or deny something, even though there was a massive promotion and insistence, especially when, it, when the police gave their recommendations, that you can have a social, socially distanced walk, and everybody would be required to wear masks and do social distancing. And that would be policed. Now, this is where it gets funny. Ms. Belmar George has turned down the application of that, and that is well within her purview. So nobody can accuse anybody of anything nefarious. She has the right to do it. She's the one that has the expertise and the know-how, and she determines the risk. And look, it could have ramifications for the whole country. But oddly enough, at the exact same time that this has been cancelled, Herod Stanislaus and his youth group have organized this event. Let's show this meme. And this meme, this um, um, Sokarama, Peace Treaty Sokarama, organized by the Sufra Constituency Youth Arm, that being the UWP Sufra Constituency Youth Arm, is having a peace treaty Sokarama on the 3rd, which is today. So they're having it today. And they seem to be not having any trouble to get permission to go ahead, even though there is no way that you can social distance soccer, as soccer is, for all intents and purposes, a contact sport. All right, and we can come off now. So what is to be on the 5th could not be approved because it was deemed to be something where groups of people would gather, even though the police already gave permission for it from the Sufre police station, and it could be social distance. And in an effort to make it non-political, they even invited Herod Stanislaus to speak, and people were to wear blue. But the UWP youth arm of Sufre is now going to have a soccerama today, which is not going to have social distancing because you can't play soccer unless you're just going to let the fellas score goal, 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 and everybody stare and hug the fence. And they're having it on a basketball court in which not only is the basketball court in a state of deterioration, but on top of that, the police have actually stopped and charged and brought in young men and women because they were using that during the shutdown and the state of emergency, which is still on. So, folks... You try to make sense of that for yourself. I know what it says to me, but they will say that I have my biases, which I do. But if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, yeah. And in the meantime, 
There's also another activity coming because as you saw yesterday in the star, um, the star vanguard flambo newspaper official publication because that's what the star is now anyway. Um, they announced the launching or the endorsement of three candidates. Two you already know, Fortuna and so on, and um, Jean-Pierre Falabri again. Yep, but then there comes Miss Ferropolius. So let's show her activity that's coming up. Very interesting. So UWP, Denry North Women's Arm, invites everybody to wear a mask and practice social distancing, but also, while you're practicing social distancing, be sure to get refreshments, free refreshments, which obviously would allow people to exchange um, or touch bottles and glasses and cups, and I don't know if the food refreshments includes food, right? And that is on Saturday, July 4th, at the Credit Union grounds at Larisus in Denry North. So let's show her the other, the other photo that we have there. You see, so meet and greet your rep, Ferropolius. Now, doesn't this constitute a crowd event or mass crowd event? I'm, I'm just asking. And how did that, does that get mass crowd approval from the CMO? And does it, or does it also get um, approval from the Royal Lucia Police Force, particularly Mr. Daisy and Mr. Shalry? I know that most of the people there will undoubtedly not be wearing red. So does that make it legal? Uh, um, we can come off that now. So I, I want to, I'm asking the question again because I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a trend here. To quote Guy Joseph's brother, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a trend here. But then again, since we're in Denry, what are the reports? In fact, let's go back to that um, that now famous or infamous missive. Um, let's show that Denry Police Station picture one. Yes, the Denry Station Diary, the station diary for Denry. And of course, let's go to the specific part that happened just about, what, three weeks ago, a month ago? Note by order of DCP Shallery, all vehicles with persons dressed in red should be diverted back to Castries. So, the question now becomes, uh, the question now becomes, and we can come off there now, are these events that are yellow-based or of the United Workers Party or the governing party, are they going to be sanctioned and are they being sanctioned at the expense of other events when they use an excuse and probably justified excuse of the state of emergency? Do people who gather in yellow shirts have immunity from COVID or coronavirus? Just like Shastney who can walk around with no mask and touch and not even elbow touch and bump people. I'm asking the question because I require medical confirmation that if I wear yellow and support the United Workers Party, if I come out like Jukwa, if I come out like, like um, Dale, if I come out like, like Chadi, if I come out like all these people, you know, Dinish, if I come out and I'm wearing yellow, will I, will I not get the disease? Will I not have to wear a mask or social distance? And can I have a mass crowd event as long as it is a UWP event or a government of the United Workers Party event? And Ms. Belmar George, please address this um, and let us know if any action will be taken against the gathering, meet and greet, even if it is socially distanced. Is, it, is, it, um, is there a preference or is it, does it discriminate? Does COVID know 
Flubbo? Does COVID know to negotiate or coexist with Flubbo and leave the, 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 what's it, the community center where they're having, sorry, the union? Let's put up the, the meme for um, the, Denry, the Denry meet and greet. I want to make sure I have it written, I have it read right. And I'm, I'm asking, is it proper or does it, not, does it discriminate when it's going there? Or it won't go there, it won't go to Denry North, it won't go to the credit union grounds at Larisus. So basically that is a demarcated coronavirus-free zone. Just, just tell us, tell us, because it's, it's, according to Timothy Polio, it's passing strange. It's passing strange. Hmm. Speaking of Denry North, it now makes sense, the Prime Minister going out into Olio and going and making sure he gets the PR because there's been very little public exposure of Ms. Ferropolius, except now when you think back into your mind and you say, oh yeah, there was a little bit of PR attempted in this whole Olio mass crowd thing which had police, but yet Mr. Daisy said he knew nothing about and he's in charge of national security, but he only knew about the prime minister's whereabouts, even though the whole public knew and all of the media houses covered and subsequently covered, he only found out the day after, as he said on the NTN broadcast. So, Olio, what's going on? Exactly. Let's go ahead, Prime Minister. Well, let's go. Way down, way down. At the bottom. Way, way down. There are people living on the other side, and there's a, some ravine street in between. So whenever, whenever um, there are heavy showers, they're not able to.
watching UCB. TV for you. Welcome back and thanks for staying with the revolution. Those of you locked in on Hits Radio 92.1 in the North, 91.1 in the South. Those of you locked in on UTV on Facebook and UTV on Twitch and of course UTV on Instagram. Thank you as well to those locked in on television around St. Lucia, Channel 124 Underground. Thanks you for your viewership. Now, <laughs> you know people tell you, I'm a diehard UWP supporter. Richard Frederick is no longer supportive of the UWP and he's out of the party. I'm not going to listen to Richard Frederick. If I'm a Labour Party supporter and I'm a diehard, I'm not going to listen to Timothy Polio. Like that it goes. But what happens when even the stalwarts and the senior people in the United Workers Party warn us? Your thoughts on Mr. Alan Chastney? Alan is someone that I know well, so he's a personal friend, and I, I would just hope, you know, Alan as a younger person is, is also a little more impetuous, and, um, but I believe that he will, if, if he won, he would be guided by others that would not let him do things that, you know, in the private sector you can afford to be more reckless, you're dealing sometimes with your money, or the money of maybe a small group of people. You can take certain decisions that backfire, and maybe a country, a company goes bankrupt. But you're dealing with a country, and you're dealing with 170,000 people. You can't afford to make those reckless decisions. Our supporters must not be made pawns of other people's larger financial ambitions. It calls to mind um, the saying, absolute power begets absolute corruption, and everybody's been saying that. It certainly creates a basis for dominance mm -hmm. in, in a number of sectors, and everybody should be worried about that. Now, whether you think it was prophecy or whether they just saw and knew it, at least they said something, even if now they, some of them might be eating their vomit and kissing ass, the fact of the matter is it was said. We heard it, and here we are today, living the nightmare. Can't call it a dream unless you're one of the FFF. That said, I am curious because I say to myself, well, yes, Mr. Peterkin is older than, than Alan Shastney, but... Impetuous is something that you'd use for somebody that may be in their teens or their 20s. When you're 57, it's baked in. It's part of your character. And impetuous becomes callous. But we'll agree to disagree. Now, folks, Cambridge Analytica is doing what is known as a full court press. Because Chastney could be calling or dissolving the House of Parliament as soon as the 25th of this month, in the next three weeks or so, he could be dissolving Parliament. He's already gone to St. Kitts to see how they use the state of emergency in order to steal an election over there. So he's following the playbook. Cambridge Analytica wouldn't be here if elections are eight months away, right? But who's going to pay that bill, even if they keep using our CIP? That said, the full court press in basketball is where you tell your players on defense to basically closely guard every player on the court from the time they put the ball inbound. So you're like this, and you're, you're shadowing them. Everywhere they go, you're on it. And it means a level of intensity that would be hard to sustain for a long period of time. But just think about it. Which party that's in government launches or endorses three candidates, even if two and a half of them are dead horses already? 
Which party does that and not even have any kind of fanfare behind it? That's a party that's moving with a stage, a, a, a certain degree of alacrity and urgency. Some would say desperation because who goes to the polls in such a horrible environment? Somebody who knows that he's going to go to the IMF the day after he's won elections. He's going to shaft the public servants that cannot protest now the day after elections. Because St. Lucians have proven sadly, psychologically, their inability to stand up except on election day. So he knows that once he wins, everybody will just take whatever licks they're going to get. Now, that said, the full court press is manifesting itself in ways that you would not notice immediately but the effects are coming. So first of all, the use of religion. Second of all, the, the play and the spin with regard to the youth. That's why you get a lie, a bold-faced lie about the national youth policy. That's why certain UWP operatives are getting to have events under the guise of not being mass crowd events, even though they are mass crowd events, while others are being suppressed. And in the meantime, Cambridge Analytica is making sure that all of the government MPs are singing for their supper. Now, it's not uncommon to get a minister or an MP in the House of Assembly praising their leader, whether it's Stevenson King or Kenny Anthony or John Compton or Vaughn Lewis or whoever. That's not new. But the written, scripted, frequent stuff that was there, except for those like Sarah Flood who will tell you, and she actually said that, that, you know, she doesn't know what she's going to say until she stands up. She knows what she's going to talk about, but she doesn't like to be scripted. But she still had to find a way to sing for her supper as well. So, folks, we're going to go through the methodology now of Cambridge Analytica putting together a whole bunch of shas kissing. So a lot of them are kissing shas because they know how unpopular he is and they also know that they are complices and they have been complicit in everything that he and they have done. He has taken pluck for them, they have taken pluck for him because that entire cabal wants to get re-elected because they are at the trough right now. And Mr. Speaker, they are going to stay in a position for a very long time, Mr. Speaker. Very, very long time. But Mr. Speaker, their behavior is just about fear. Fearful of the Prime Minister. Fearful of his vision, his abilities, and performance as this country's leader and Prime Minister. Fear. Now, note the part about fear because Cambridge Analytica knows that the two easiest things to activate are fear and anger. And indeed, many St. Lucians, particularly Labour Party supporters, were fearful of Shastney becoming Prime Minister. The only problem is, the truth is that whatever they feared, he's been even worse. Even I, who thought he was bad, the truth is, I didn't think he would be this bad, this quickly, this aggressively, and this unapologetically. If he had literally just taken what was already there, the low-hanging fruit, you already got Royalton from Kenny, you already got Harbour Club from Kenny, if you just kept the range, the one in Sabusha, the one at Canals, let um, the administrative building go through the Sufre Square and so on. Imagine they talk about what transformation Herod has done to Sufre, when really and truly, apart from stopping the Sufre Square and then adding another million dollars to it, their crown jewel of achievement in terms of Sufre infrastructure has all been Labour Party projects that were going through the DCA motions to make sure they were environmentally safe. And Herod just basically circumvented that and fast-tracked those things. They're all extremely vulnerable, not 
even to just a hurricane category one, two, or three, but actually tropical storms will actually do damage to them because of the nature of the speed of the rivers in terms of what comes down off the hillsides in Sufre. But Lord, let's hope, God forbid, let's hope and pray that nothing happens for the next couple foreseeable as long as we can hurricane seasons. That said, that said, a vote for Herod is a vote for Shastney. And Estefan knows that too. The minister at the helm of this government had to contend with. I must say, Mr. Speaker, that he stepped the course and managed the ship of state very, very, very well during this challenging time. And I think the name of the St. Lucia Labour Party is the St. Lucia Lies and Propaganda Party. The St. Lucia Lies and Propaganda Party. The SLB party. And there is no ending to the lies and the propaganda. It doesn't end. They, not, they don't know how to cease. Because all they are fighting for is power. And it is far, 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 far away from them. Very far. Because they forget that there is a heavenly father who is watching over his people. And the people of St. Lucia will never make that mistake. No matter what they do. And they are there trying everything in the books. The people of St. Lucia have not forgotten what, how, how you all have dealt with the economy of this country. How you all run the ship of state when you have your turn. Not this time around. Alan M. Chastney is the right man for the job. And put that in your pipe and smoke it! <laughs> Mr. Speaker, as a visionary leader, the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance also said on page 69 that a major feature of the fiscal strategy which we are pursuing in this fiscal year is a significant capital expenditure program most of which is directed towards the upgrade and the modernization of our infrastructure. This Mr. Speaker is a leader who is preparing his country for the new normal so that we are not caught flat-footed and unprepared. He knows and understands, Mr. Speaker, how to run this economy, how to provide for the people of this country. Yep, this is a leader who is preparing this country for the new normal. A generations of servitude in perpetuity because he has definitely run down this country. Now, like I said, you might not see the pattern, but when you look at all of them that are programmed, and I could have put all of them, it was amazing to see the concerted effort to try to bolster somebody that people have seen through. It's the same old story, the boy who cried wolf. Eventually, people get to figure out if you're a con man. And as to whether the wolves come for you, well, that's up to fate. That said, when it came to Sarah, I found it interesting and intriguing. That, and I wanted folks to remember this. Do you remember that Sarah Flood was in the Labour Party? 
She was a firebrand and beat Von Lewis for Castries Central, the leader of the United Workers' Party at the time in the 16-1. Sarah Flood, even just the other day, was talking about how they would not allow prayers in the, in the Labour Party cabinet, when the truth is that she was so notoriously famous or infamous for coming to cabinet meetings late that she didn't even realize that they had prayed sometimes an hour before she even got there. But that's for another show. What is interesting is that she broke ranks with the Labour Party when the, because they changed the laws regarding abortion and actually, to my mind, made it more restrictive, which I am opposed to, I must say, requiring a woman who was raped to have to get a rape kit, also actually having to go to the police to make a report. And we all know in the middle of all of these traumatic situations that a lot of the psychology behind that proves that you have to let women do things in their own time and in their own space, and even men who are raped as well, human beings. That said... Sarah Flood tore a new one into the Labour Party, accused them of being murderers and criminals and everything in the House in a, in a spectacular display, left the Labour Party, ran on an independent ticket for Castries Central, got her hat handed to her, lost, and then went and formed an organization and joined international organizations that promote family values or conservative values which are basically pro-life, not pro-choice. Sir John brought her in and amazingly put her when he won in 2006, a lot of people don't remember that, put her as Speaker of the House and then attached her to the New York Consulate as some sort of created position of Deputy Consul General or whatever. And she never once agitated for any kind of repeal of the law that the Labour Party enacted. She also never agitated for anything to do with abortion with, in re, with regards to the Sir John administration and then after Sir John's passing, the Stevenson King administration. Now she's an MP again, Minister of External Affairs, who still does her pro-life advocacy to the point where she seems to let it imbue her policy pronouncements for the government with regards to human rights or equal rights for um, gays and lesbians and LGBTQ and all the rest of that. Now that said, what was amazing in all of this is not only did Sarah Flood um, just a few days ago make sure to praise the Prime Minister as a man who cares about women and women's issues, but she also revealed that to date she has yet to even probe the Prime Minister to find out whether he is pro-choice or pro-life. Which means for something that this woman was literally regarded for and hailed for, her advocacy in terms of being pro-life as a super Christian, one who will get to heaven before all of us. Yet somehow she had, in fact, listen for yourself. I've heard a lot, a lot said about the Prime Minister, a lot of attacks on the Prime Minister, unjustified, unwarranted, untrue I said to the Prime Minister you know PM we did our first ultrasound at our family centre yesterday that's our crisis presently centre by the way we did we performed our first ultrasound on our clients yesterday at the family centre the Prime Minister right away said wow yes when are you inviting me? I would like to come to see. 
Yes. I have never, I have never asked the Prime Minister, we've never discussed fully what the Prime Minister's views on abortion are. We've not discussed that. But that's the Prime Minister who understands women. Of controversy. Yeah. So I never spoke about single moms. Part of this system that we have of single mothers having multiple kids. So I never spoke about single moms. Single mothers having multiple kids. Young girls who are having children under the age of 18 um, and having children with different men and that they uh, are following the pattern of their mother and they're following the pattern of their grandmother. I've never asked the Prime Minister, we've never discussed fully what the Prime Minister's views on abortion are. We've not discussed that. But that's the Prime Minister who understands women in crisis need help. Clearly that's not something that you can legislate. Correct. Mm -hmm. Well, you can legislate it. To, in what way? You can say if you want to that if a woman has a child under the age of 18, under the age of 18, okay, not even an adult yet, yet and that person goes out and has their first child and you help them, okay? And you help support that first child and goes out and have a second child. Should that person be entitled to keep that second child? Sorry, hold on there, folks. I'm just trying to see if I can draw in my eyebrows like a comma, like her. I'm just trying to see if I can put that. How do you do that? You just, you just basically go and you just write in cursive, like Gil's accent, and you put it for your eyebrow, like Sarah? I don't know. I'll do it when I get up. Now, folks, I am confused. I am confused. You sit in cabinet with a man. You discuss all kinds of gender-related issues, among other national issues, and you've never, ever, even raised the issue. Something for which, if you passed away tomorrow, God forbid, would be on your epitaph. It would be marked on your grave. Crusader for the rights of the unborn. <laughs> but, again, the pocket and the convenience comes before because after all, who's going to cover those passports with their private business in the, in the external affairs passport office if not you? And how would you do that if you raised abortion and it became something which you actually had to stand up for? But like I said, everybody's following line. Everybody's falling in line. Everybody knows now it is time to kiss shas. So when you see they come and they tell you, boy, come here, come here, pass your ass inside. You better do it. We did try to conduct a second interview with Minister Fede on Thursday to seek clarity on what the entry protocols really are, but that attempt was interrupted by the Prime Minister as his tourism minister was responding to our question. I got to see you. For Choice News Now. Nelsia Shalmine reporting. We did try to conduct a second interview with Minister Fede on Thursday to seek clarity on what the entry protocols really are, but that attempt was interrupted by the Prime Minister as his tourism minister was responding to our question. I got to see you. For Choice News Now, Nelsia Shalmine reporting. Folks, can you believe this? Can you believe this? That Dominic Feeney, in the middle of the interview, of an interview, is given marching orders by Shastley. Yep, and folks, remember, Cambridge Analytica specializes in fear and anger. So, they'll get you angry about stuff that they do. Like yesterday, when Outgoes In comes on, notice they never take any phone calls. 
They can berate people like me for going to interview a man whose legacy is literally being taken away from him for the Prime Minister's promotion and say that I'm politicizing an issue. But yet, the nation's number one politician, Alan Shastny, is misleading the people and telling people that he is the captain of a team from 1985 when he was only captain for two games and a mutiny. And the rest is this PR spin that he had put in the papers. But the point is, it's about intimidation and everybody's following, falling in line. Because if you see in these big grown-ups, well, except for Fadi, if you see these people and they have their homes, their, they have their children, they have their careers, they have their qualifications as lawyers, engineers, whatever it is, and yet still they are cowering. You know, people like Stevenson King, that he doesn't need money. Stevenson King got, through a salaries review, 860-something thousand dollars. He has his home in Sunny Acres. Stevenson King has his pension set. What does he need to be kissing up so much for? But you see, at the end of the day, what you need to know is whether you want another five years of all of these people just knowing that if you vote for Sarah, if you vote for Estee, if you vote for Herod, if you vote for Bradley, if you vote for whoever... They all are votes for Shastney to continue an endorsement of the way that he's treating them, the way they are treating themselves. And don't forget, people like Stevenson King, people like Bradley Felix, people like Gail Rigobert, all of these people were put there to stand up for you. They were put there and elected by the majority of people in the constituencies to stand up for you. Not to cower to, to Shastney or anybody else. But what they're not saying out in public, like I said, it's not new. They've been saying it behind closed doors. It's happening now within the organization. is really an indication of what is likely to happen in government. Uh, a meeting is going on and you say something. And within the next two minutes, the leader comes on and he's saying something Totally disregarding you, you know. He considers what you have said to be rubbish. The thing about it is, boy, I don't know. Alan is being a reckless. Boy, this guy, I see so much madness. That's the kind of thing but, this guy. But, but, almost sounds like that. But the other thing, too, the other thing, too, the other problem you have, too, is that when Guy Myers or Guy Joseph has been on a platform and say, Ken is a thief, and I need come on. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's, that's real gutter politics, man. Gutter, 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 gutter. That's man, gutter. I don't know, I don't know. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah. I'll tell you something. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because I'm talking to you. Mm. If I have met two politicians in my life, I honestly believe that you and Dr. Kenny Anthony are honest politicians mm. that have no intention mm. of robbing or thieving yeah. or defrauding yeah. any, any government post. No, no. You might take an action that in hindsight that might affect St. Lucia. Yes. You, you try something and most probably it, uh, like it, it didn't bear the well, well. But I don't yes, believe yeah. any Anthony sit down or Stephen Drinking sit down and decide that thing coming. Well, let me see how I can talk right. a little million for my yeah. I don't believe Kenny. Yeah, 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 yeah. But my interaction with Dr. Anthony. No. And for him, no. Dr. Anthony. That Robert, is one, careful. that is one I will never, ever, ever believe if anybody says it to me. He operates like the politician ought to operate in government. Exactly. You know, but, some politicians believe that when they're in government, they, they must be operate by an, uh, uh, like a technical officer. Yes.
But you must know where to draw the line. Exactly. You know, you must exactly. know where to draw, draw the line. You know, exactly. I always remember Ralph Gonzalez saying to me, always saying that, listen, I do not advise myself on issues, even where that I believe I'm an expert. Exactly. So in other words, he's saying that even if he is a lawyer, mm. and he believes he's one of the best lawyers in the region, mm. he doesn't advise himself, he listens to his attorney general. Exactly. You understand? And the same thing goes to the Prime Minister. You have it, you have certain things, you want to do it, but you defer to your, your, your technical officer and you ask, is it possible? How can we do it? But I tell you, you understand? I tell you something. I could never, ever go in a bowling position and vote for UWP. I tell you that, you're crazy. Alan Chastney, Guy Joseph, um, Ezekiel, no. the United Workers Party, United Workers Party. Yes, yes. Never Alan Chastney is the best person. No, 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 no. The way they there is not because they're passionate about the country. Right. It's because winning that election depends on the financial security of some of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, tell me that, yeah. tell me that. I tell you, by the way, that part I know maybe for one or two of the politicians. I didn't know it was yeah. so widespread of mm -hmm. the politician. Yeah. Yo, 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 TV, yo, TV. I know you got it. If you identify with the most pulsating, the most riveting, the most eye-capturing UTV, to advertise with UTV, dial 484-7588 or 572-7588. For some of the most competitive rates, amazing programming, and bang for your buck. The most popular streaming channel, UTV124 on Facebook. Get it now! Check us out on Instagram at UTV124. Email us utvslu at gmail.com. It's not just for me, it's definitely TV for you. St. Lucia, you asked for it and we're making it happen. Revolution t shirts are now available island wide in Groselay at Nesta's Bar in Grand Riviere. A Dax supermarket in the Richard Frederick building in Castries, Marilyn's Restaurant and Bar at the Daito Fisheries Complex in Denry, Hippolyte's in Soufret Town, as well as in Beaufort at Chanel's Upstairs, the Chanel's Plaza. Revolution t-shirts can also be ordered through Johnson for those in the Miku area, from Nyla in the Chozel to Labry area, as well as Diana in the Ancillary Canneries districts. And if you require any other information, please call our National Coordinator, Dantes, at 486-7658. That's 486-7658. Anytime, day or night. All sizes, all colors. Get your Revolution t-shirts today. None but ourselves can free our minds. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Entertainment Nation on Steroids. UTV and Hits FM sinking the eyes and the ears of tomorrow today. Not only can you see it, you can feel it. Airing on channel 124 or tune in to Radio 92.1 FM is Trisha Lionel in the morning at 11. Also airing live with Lisa and the ever-controversial revolution with Christopher Hunt. That's right, we don't do it normal. 
Stay locked in with UTV and Hits FM, channel 124 and 92.1 FM. UTV, TV for you. Thank you for staying with us and thank you for joining the revolution. All of you here and all of you locked in around the world. Now in our final segment, we're going to deal with an unseemly truth. And a lot of things that I'm saying, I know you'd think they are conspiracy theory. The only problem is, <laughs> I have the proof. So, whether we like it or not, in all of the confusion over the airports and the airport loan, we have to always get to the ulterior motive, what lies below the surface. It's amazing that the Prime Minister has been boasting about securing the airport loan for the airport redevelopment for the last three to four years. And I can tell you as of right now, even as they're spending money down in Viewfort at the airport site, they still have not secured the loan because everything has changed in terms of COVID. And even before COVID, the banks in Taiwan, the Exim Bank, the Export-Import Bank of Taiwan, wanted assurances that you would get the first part of the loan from the local banks. The local banks only were giving you the loan on the assurance that you were getting the money from the Taiwanese. And in the middle of that, both were trying to get understand how they were going to get paid from the same airport development tax, which contrary to many people's belief, would still probably have to be raised again. And no, we were not the lowest in the region. We were in the top quarter, the top, seven, the top 25% in the region, and we were going to have to go even higher. Your government has secured the financing for the new international airport in Vietnam. I'm going to be meeting with the new contractors for the new airport. And so we're looking to break ground on the new Huonara International Airport Terminal in August of this year. Starting at the airport, so I'm very happy to announce to you tonight and today, in fact, as not even a public announcement that we've made, but we've been um, negotiating for a new loan for the airport. And I just got word last night that the loan was approved. Um, so it means that we're going to be commencing construction of the new airport this fall. At the commencement of the launch of the airport redevelopment project, which was dubbed Ready for Takeoff, SLASPA's acting general manager, Mr. Darren Snack, introduced the project master plan. Prime Minister Alan Chastney spoke in his capacity as the Minister for Finance, Economic Growth, Job Creation and External Affairs as it relates to the Hiranura International Airport project, while Honorable Su Yang Xiong, 
President of the Legislative, Young and Special Envoy of Her Excellency President Tsai Ing-wen of the Republic of China, Taiwan, delivered his speech in his native language using an interpreter minutes before the sword-turning ceremony took place. So in this instance, what we have done is we came to the house and we've legislated to give permission to SLASPA to collect $35, to keep the $35 as part of the airport tax. And remember, the airport tax currently is at $98. $25 is going to SLASPA and $35 is going into this lockbox. And that money is actually going into a bank account, will be going into a bank account once the loan agreement has been completely signed and into a bank account in New York City, and that's where the monies will be drawn down on to be able to pay back the loan. Once the loan agreement has been completely signed, once it has been completely signed. Have you ever stopped your signature three quarters of the way through? <laughs> and in the meantime, people like Slasper Head, um, some fellow Sumerian, Darren Snack, who doesn't seem to be able to have an independent thought unless, and is always programmed by Sean Matthews. He, he can't eat breakfast unless Sean Matthews tells him to get eggs or to get a dal or to eat cereal. And yet still, nobody has managed to figure out how to make this whole thing work up to now. And the Taiwanese are rightfully... Very concerned because at the end of the day, the Exim Bank of Taiwan has a, but has a bankroll of $800 million. That's what they have. So to give St. Lucia $150 million out of that $800 million is a significant deal. And let's face it, our financial mismanagement has not escaped their eyes. And the warnings for the last three years have been coming from Labour Party stalwarts, from MPs, even from independent senators. The terms and conditions proposed by the Export-Import Bank of the Republic of China, Taiwan, are accepted. The terms and conditions proposed by... How can I vote yes that I accept those terms and conditions when I've never seen them? The Mr. public Mr. has Speaker. never seen them. Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. Mr. The, the terms and the conditions of the Prime loan, Mr. Mr. Speaker. Prime Mr. Minister. Um, Mr. Speaker, can I continue? Because the Prime Minister um, is getting a little flustered. And, uh, so let, let, let's go on, Mr. Speaker. Trying to help me. The suspicion is on you. I'm going to be borrowing 150 million U.S. dollars from the Taiwanese. Is the first government I see boasting about borrowing money. I believe that the Bank of St. Lucia owes it to the shareholders to issue a statement from the board of directors that they have assessed this loan, they have assessed the fundamentals of this loan, and they are satisfied beyond all reasonable doubt that it was a right and proper loan to grant. As we would appreciate, um, St. Lucia is a small vulnerable state, vulnerable to the vagaries of what happens in the international market, um, environmental risk, market risk, financial risk, and a whole number of risks. So we need to understand, once we undertake that level of borrowing, that we have the comfort 
that we can afford to pay. Any bank which loans money wants to know if you default, what are they falling back on? I would need to understand what exactly is the assurance, insurance or security that we've given to the bank in the event that you default. Today you're asking us against all logic, against all reasonable thinking, you've given up a PPP to take a loan of 175 million and for us to believe we should just approve it, Mr. Speaker? No, Mr. Speaker. For me, there's a lot more that has to be answered. I need to know, Mr. Speaker, what are the guarantees that this project will not be corrupted, will not be used for the wrong reasons, Mr. Speaker. As a parliamentarian, I need to get that assurance, and I don't have it, and I don't feel comfortable, Mr. Speaker. Suffice it to say, my pay to, my pay. 270 million, my pay. We are being asked to approve a borrowing of 100 million US dollars, but incumbent upon that decision, is the interim interest payments for the first five years, which is $60 million. So we need to be very, very clear about what we are approving here. And also, if you calculate 3.5% interest for the 15 years of repayment, that is $525 million additional dollars, or half a billion dollars that has to be found, which makes the total cost of this project over the life of 20 years some $850 million, Madam President. That is a huge amount, and it is not inconsequential, and we really ought to have a much clearer idea as to how the people and the unborn children of St. Lucia are going to pay this debt. Now, sadly, I have grown accustomed to having to go outside of my comfort zone and not necessarily being a suspicious person but having to learn people's habits. And sadly, with this government, this Prime Minister, the Minister for Economic Development, the Cabinet, a mass, nothing seems to be without some sort of ulterior motive. You just have to figure out what it is. So the question you have to ask yourself is, we are in COVID, you have a COVID budget. Why would you not prioritize taking care of the people and still give Ojo Labs access to $1.1 million. And then you find out that they are moving to Grenada as soon as elections are done. <laughs> then you turn around and you ask yourself, why would you look to still do the airport project, even if you wanted to do capital works projects so that you could funnel money to yourself through construction companies that are aligned to you politically? Even if you wanted to do that, why choose the airport? Why the airport? Now, you do remember the A&M scandal, and maybe there's just this egotistical thing where somebody believes or some people believe that they have to get what they could not get through if the last time, but that's still too simplistic. And then you have to ask yourself, but hold on. You had a lockbox. You were not willing to take that lockbox that should have had $126 million by their calculations, but they said it had $80 million. You would not use it in the greatest pandemic in the in global history, even more than the flu influenza back 100 years ago, because this, in terms of the crippling effects of a globalized economy. Wow. The airline industry has collapsed. Tourism globally has collapsed. The cruise line, the cruise ship industry has many companies out of business. They cannot come back for at least another year because cruise 
um, cruise destinations and cruise ships are programmed. They have to fill up the boat with people who pre-book and pre-pay a year in advance sometimes, and they have to have a year schedule in advance. It's a huge set of mechanics that have to go. And they consider that these are literally cesspools, um, breeding grounds for coronavirus type thing, and they don't know how they're going to adapt. But yet still, you want to do and take an airport loan, which is predicated on you being able to bring people into a country that has a collapsed airline industry, that does not have the health facilities to deal with the number of ventilators, everything. How can you be taking such a horrible decision in such a horrible time that even the Taiwanese who would give you the loan are pulling back because they're saying, but yow, how can you be telling me that you broke, you're taking a loan, you don't know where you're getting your next dollar from, you're probably going to end up losing more money for the foreseeable future, you're going to go into a minus 18 GDP recession, worse in St. Lucia's history by over tenfold, and you're telling me that you're still going to pursue an airport project? And then you have to think about ulterior motive. The last project that requires you to dream is DSH. Mr. Taya King is not going to be investing all of the money for all the projects. But when I heard and I did my own background checks on Mr. Taya King and I found out what he has done in his life, I asked him, I said, Teo, will you help us? He said, what do you want, Alan? I said, I want you to put together a master plan for the whole of you for it. The Labour Party will have you believe that I have given all the lands to Mr. Oteoke. He would have you believe that we give him the stadium. We gave him those things to help us develop those things. We gave him those things to help us develop those things. Those things. So now, let's get down to it. How do you stop a man who has you by the short and curlies, a man who has you by the balls, and can invoke a buyback clause, forcing you to not only repay him for his investment, but also any infrastructure that he has erected. You have to pay him for the land and the value of the infrastructure. You also have an escrow account, which should not truly be called an escrow account because he has final say and can override. He also is the one selling passports for you in China and can expose what is either going on or not going on or where everything is going or what is happening with regards to passport sales that he is doing. He has already bought Il Parata and Kokodan area and he has all this land that would put you in huge problems. Could you imagine a more colossal failure? If Teo, then if Teo King actually pulled out on the Prime Minister's legacy signature project of DSH before elections? Mm. So you tell him, well, look, go and cut up the land and start selling the land. Eventually, once you win elections, you'll have, the people at the top of the hill will have to move anyway. But what's even scarier is that we did not even realize all this time that the changed plans of the airport were because... Teo King has always been involved in our airports.
We've now allowed a gentleman who's coming as an investor to decide where the airport terminal is supposed to be. And you can see from this graphic, um, I'm not sure if you can see it very clearly enough, but um, you can see the airport. You can, I think you can see the runway. Unfortunately, I don't have a clicker to show you. Uh, but this whole concept of placing the, this new terminal closer to, thanks very much for zooming in, closer to the river, right, is merely so that the first thing that you will see when you leave this new terminal building is the DSH area. Now, why would you want to do that? It makes sense for DSH because clearly it raises the value of the DSH properties around there. It means, therefore, that it becomes a center of attention. Uh, right? That's, that's the whole concept for, for DSH. But that was never the plan, the master plan, for Hiwanor International Airport. And even when the, the plans were done during the, the period of the Stevenson King administration, that was never the plan that was done by that, those very architects back then either. So this concept of coming out now with a new uh, terminal building at a lower elevation, closer to a river, and we all know what, is ha what happened back in 2013, uh, and even with respect to uh, Debbie and other major um, climatic events such as those, the flooding, which is a problem already um, down there. And to be thinking about placing that airport terminal in that location is very, very uh, deleterious to the overall development. Because the other problem, and I don't know if people appreciate, is what it's going to do is that it's going to actually cut off. You're building the, the airport the, a terminal at the southern end of the disused runway. So it now, then means that all the disused runway north of this new terminal can no longer be used for airside expansion of the airport. So it's a, it's a very bad idea. It, has it was never proposed in any of the master plans um, for Iwanora International Airport and is still and certainly something that we really need not do because it's going to cost us more in the end. It now means that we now have to build a new, a whole new uh, road network and approach to get inside uh, that, that area. So we spoke about a lot about the financials, financial issues of, of um, Hiwanor International Airport, but certainly even from a design perspective, there are some major issues there. And that's, again, an image, and this image is available on the Hiwanor International Airport uh, website. It's one of the images that they've been putting out there, and it's the only one that we have that actually shows what is the proposed layout of the, um, the area. And we can see there, I'm not sure if you can see it, it says new apron. Now, look at what we have before. You, you can see the existing uh, terminal building, which is to the right, uh, and you're seeing this new terminal building, which is in white, um, on the left of that, and then you can... Um, with the existing terminal building, you can see the, the roof, the green roofs of the, uh, of the existing terminal building. And then in front of the existing terminal building, you can see somewhere you see some of these 
these white markings. Those are what we know as um, the parking apron. These are stands where the planes will actually come up and, and effectively park in front of the terminal. So you can see three to the right of the existing terminal building. And you may notice that they are a little bigger than the ones in front of the terminal building. And those are because the ones on the right, they're actually for very large planes like your 747s, your 777s. Um, so all flights coming out of the UK, for instance, they would be um, parking in that area on the eastern side. So this new terminal, as you can see, is being designed for two large wide-body um, aircraft, like your 777s, your 747s. And then you have four provision for four more stands, which you can see there in front of the terminal. And those are for your smaller um, aircraft, your 737s, um, you know, 727s, those types of aircraft that would do the U.S. Uh, North American route, as the case may be. Now, even that layout alone leads to a lot of of issues because you have all your existing infrastructure with, in terms of your parking and, and the most important aspect, you've just made a, an investment of a new um, stand, a new wide body stand on the eastern side of that, of that, um, that aerodrome. So you've now placed it far away from where your terminal is going to be built. So as to how that becomes a good use of the infrastructure which you just spent uh, quite a bit of money to build is, is very, very questionable. And that is exactly why the original plan um, for the, the master plan was to build that new terminal to the north of the existing terminal in the car park area. And then they would have then extended the parking apron, which would have been, it would have meant that you would have had much less new parking apron to construct instead of what is being done on the western side with this new airport terminal. So, again, what you end up with is a more expensive venture. And, again, we have to ask the question, do, do we even have enough money to be able to complete that? Because we're told that for the terminal uh, in particular, we're looking at about $175 million U.S. dollars. And... Uh, even that amount, I'm not even too sure if it is going to be uh, enough. Because the reality is airports are notorious for cost overruns and including the issue of delays. Let's look at, uh, there have been a number of projects like that all across the Caribbean, uh, which we can um, learn from. Antigua is a good example of that. When they wanted to redevelop VC Bird International Airport, the original estimated figure was $45 million. Do you know, do you know what it, it ended up being? Uh, in fact, it was revised two years later, $75 million US dollars. The final cost of the airport ended up being $98 million. So you can just look, it was almost twice the amount, in fact, more than twice the amount um, of the original cost there. Uh, we look at Guyana, Chedi Jagan International Airport. Uh, they uh, wanted to go forward. They were very fancy um, airport design. Um, and again, trying to get loans and counterpart funding. And at the end of the day, the airport ended up taking way uh, much longer than was expected. And they were not able to actually deliver 
on a lot of the aspects of the design there. Uh, of course, in Barbados, we know the story there too with Grantley Adams International Airport. Uh, that was a 100 million US dollar expansion um, back in 2005, 2004, 2005 or thereabouts. And the plan at the time was to have jet bridges, right? Just like we're proposing for our new airport. And you know what happened in Barbados? They ran out of money. They couldn't afford to put in the jet bridges. And so it's ironic that they're now looking to expand that airport in Barbados right about now. Um, much vast, uh, much larger um, facility than what we have here in St. Lucia. And they announced in February 2019, Barbados is going the route of a public-private partnership. And, and you know who they're going with? The International Finance Corporation. Remember them? And what are the terms? A 25 to 30-year lease. And at that time, the minister, um, Transport Minister Kerry Simons, or Simmons, is saying, quote, this is nothing that has not been done in the, before in the Caribbean. Those people who are familiar with aviation, those people who are familiar with aviation, and certain, certainly the bank, CDB, would have its experts, and you would know that Suriname, St. Martin, Jamaica, and then Martinique, there are a number of airports around the region which would have gone through this process. And Barbados is planning on expanding their airport too. And it's going the route of a PPP. So where does that leave us? That leaves us with a government that seems to be doing things for political convenience or to save its hide. Because if these truths ever become exposed, although people like the Chamber of Comatose should already have discerned the ulterior motives based on all of the terms and conditions that they've seen with regards to DSH, the buyback clause, the involvement in the airport, and so on. Why would you push such a horrible project right now? Even if you wanted to have election projects, why push this? But then again, you've seen the other clues. For example, spending $18 million on Malaysian incinerators Malaysian, same as Tewa King from Malaysia, in order to clear a garbage site or, or close down a landfill, which you never ref were going to close down when it was in relation to the health and safety of the people of Viewfort or the people at the George Odlum Stadium who were being bathed with flies and all kinds of stuff was happening over there, garbage and so on. So for health purposes... It couldn't be done, but for Tewa King, $18 million out of a COVID budget and even money that has been borrowed from the IMF for the relief that cannot reach all of the hotel workers that have been laid off, all of the small business owners that cannot get a bly, that cannot open a stuck in this malaise of a state of, of, um, state of, of, of emergency. And in the middle of all of that, you take money out of that money that you borrow to still do the garbage incinerators, and you still do in the airport. And here's the experts from IATA, the International Aviation Association, and even they, in fact, let's hear what they have to say. The International Air Transport Association, IATA, has issued a call to governments within Latin America and the Caribbean to take urgent measures to provide relief to the airline industry as that sector looks towards a post-COVID-19 recovery. 
In a recent podcast hosted by the Caribbean Tourism Organization, IATA's Vice President for the Americas highlighted that the organization has urged governments across the world to consider measures such as tax relief, direct financial support, loans and loan guarantees in order to help alleviate the impact of lost revenue. The host of the podcast, Johnson John Rose, contextualized the situation in terms of just how much the Caribbean, the world's most tourism-dependent region, stands to lose. If the crisis continues through to the end of the second quarter, it could cost the Caribbean $740 million in losses to GDP and put 23,000 jobs at risk in aviation alone at the rest of the travel sector and the impact on GDP could reach six and a half billion dollars and job losses up to 255,000. The vice president stressed that airlines do not have the financial resources to keep planes grounded for prolonged periods. While he suggests that travel could resume as early as next month, he warns that it will be a different market. This industry will look very differently. Uh, from a sustainable and structural standpoint, once we come out of this uh, um, crisis in June, July, whatever the date will be, it will be a very different. It will be a much smaller industry. It will be a much more limited industry. And the capacity of the destinations that it served before the crisis will not be the same uh, once we leave in June and July. According to Serda, we may also see carriers offering leaner services, servicing fewer routes, and operating smaller aircrafts. He also noted that even when the pandemic eases, travelers will most likely feel some apprehension towards travel. As such, it is important that the region positions itself to be competitive. So what can the Caribbean region do? Lowering uh, passenger fees and taxation fees, um, one of the biggest problems that we've always faced in the Caribbean, it, the Caribbean is a very highly taxed um, market. And it's always taxed on the airline side, on the passenger consumer side. And this will be a big challenge uh, for the Caribbean once we leave, uh, once we are able to escape from this uh, uh, crisis. So the further highlighted that in order for the region to ensure the continuity of international flights, passengers must be incentivized. That will probably be cheaper flights. It's going to have to be also, because of the stigma that there is, there may have to be procedures, at least in the short term, in which middle seats may be left uh, empty to bring confidence back to the traveling public. So we're going to have to look at different options to stimulate the market and to guarantee that that schedule of flights or connectivity continues. Serda has noted that while tourism in the region has always been fragile and highly dependent on external factors, it has always been resilient. However, he stressed that we are currently facing a very different type of crisis and that previous shockwaves in the industry do not compare in magnitude. By IATA's estimations, roughly 85% of scheduled flights worldwide are grounded as approximately 180 countries have either restricted travel or closed their borders. So Mr. Peter Suda of the International Air Travel Association is telling us and Caribbean governments, if you want to have a ghost of a chance, you need to cut taxes and airfare-related taxes for travel. <laughs> so cut the taxes 
at the airport if you want to stimulate any kind or have any chance of a resurgence of air travel. But this government is taking a loan, still forcing to take a loan, and knowing full well that not only will it not be able to lower, but it will most probably have to increase. So we want people who are already not coming here to pay more money, even though they're not coming here, those that are coming to pay more money. Does that make sense to you, San Lucia? Does that make sense? The only way it makes sense to me, sad to say, even if it's my bias, is based on the evidence that I've seen and what I know and what my background and my background checks have posited to me. The warnings are there. It's glaring. It's obvious. Even if you say you're running a country like a business, this is a horrible thing to do. Except if you know that if Teoa King walks away today, that basically, Balfini, you have, there's nothing you can say. Basically, even your own party would probably try to eject you quickly before the elections. Maybe, hopefully, you and Guy. But that's okay. We're all falling in lockstep, apparently. Now, I put up the phone number at 5727588. As I let you hear from the independent Senator Adrian Auger once again, Naiwanu. All the signs are there um, that we are about to make the same mistake with the airport project. Madam President, airports are conspicuously fraught with cost overruns, long delays, um, corruption, um, all, sorts of, all sorts of problems. But perhaps they are most famous for causing the downfalls of government. So let us be very careful as we tread into that project. And the, the examples are there. The leaching is legendary. Barbados, Antigua, Jamaica, Trinidad, Barbados, they've all had major political stress over new airports. So my suggestion is to tread very, very carefully and let us make sure we know what we are doing. Um, regarding energy, I would like to suggest, Madam President, that for those companies who have paid their bills March through June, that is from the beginning of the crisis, to the present date, that there might be a rebate of 15% on their utility bills, primarily in electricity, which is the big one. If somehow we can manage for that to happen, it would generate a little latitude for businesses to keep going and for them to reopen their doors. Um, I would really like to suggest that this would have an impact on reopening, rehiring, and all of the other starting up expenses which businesses will have to face if we want to see the economy engine pick up again. Um, also in terms of transformative imperatives we, in the area of energy, we need to look seriously at the duties on energy saving devices and maybe offer tax rebates moving forward. We may not be able to do it immediately, but as soon as there is fiscal space, look at the duties on energy saving devices, offer tax rebates, which can be accessed when the business recovery is taking off. If we are to develop resilience in the face of crisis, we must not just react, but we must transform. Investments in the green industry and the green economy should be encouraged by introducing waivers of border taxes and taxable income for three to five years, maybe 2020 to 2025. This would help us build some more resilience into families, into businesses, and into communities. In water, very quickly, we are currently losing 56% of all water produced. That is more than half of the water we produce in the country is being lost, wasted, returned to mother nature, if you will. 
that cannot continue. And when you consider that we're in a drought situation, thank God the hotels are closed, or as many of us would not have gotten a shower this morning. I hope we did. Um, but fixing that, Madam President, would be labor-intensive. A lot of it would take place in non-urban communities. It would generate employment. It would get people on the ground. And I would like to suggest that we address this problem even as we are contemplating major expenditure on Roseau Dam. Even if we fill the reservoir and we do not have a proper distribution system, we are wasting time and money. So let us sometimes forget the big, large, glorious projects which have up, you know, how much potential for whatever. Let us think about the distribution system which has been deteriorating for a long time. And at 56% line losses, that is way over any acceptable margin. And we can do better than that, and we must do better than that, because this is not working for anybody. So the phone lines are open at 5727588, and I am so happy, and, and it's good to know that a developmental economist who has a PhD in developmental economics is echoing the same sentiments as many solutions, the common person like myself, that instead of pursuing an airport project that is literally, it has red flags all over it so much, it looks like a Labour Party motorcade. But at the same time, you have a water distribution system where you're losing 56% of every gallon that goes through the pipes in the north I don't even have to say 56% in the South because the South are getting water consistently in the first place. If these people get two, three good weeks in Auger or Cedar Heights or Labri or wherever, they, they, the Miku is like, yay. And we have these priorities that would help us with our sustainable development. Even if we had to build an airport, do we have the water for it? That water project there now is not going to come through anytime soon down in Fufort. But you see, again, St. Lucia, the part that sucks is that we all see the problem. We all see somebody who is telling us that he's driving us away from a tornado. And we can call it COVID or whatever. But he's actually driving us off a cliff. And if you speak out, you are being political, you are opportunist, you just that and the other. If you are taking me from out of the frying pan into the fire, shouldn't I be able to say that? Shouldn't we be able to speak out? What are all of these august bodies in St. Lucia for if at the end of the day they don't represent the people? What is the point of having a bar association that won't speak about anything political? When, polit when politics dictates policy which dictates so many things, what is the point of having all these associations, non-governmental organizations? What is the point of the Chamber of Commerce? Seriously, what is the point? That it's déclassé to agitate in front of the public or in general, but you can only agitate when the Labour Party is in office and complain about the hospital and all the rest of that? I don't understand. Somebody has to tell me. Now, folks, you see these projects and you're asking yourself, the last election was an election to win. All Chastney had to do was just keep what was already in play, and he would have been riding on 5% GDP growth easy. And even if they did all the Coco Macacri and Bobol, the truth is nobody would really have seen it or felt it because there would have been some sort of latitude, at least up until COVID. Now in the middle of COVID, where you're watching yourself and your children be more and more marginalized, think about what is being done for Teo King. Think about what the, the misplaced priorities and how they've even become more glaring. 
Just answer the question for yourself. Would you go and buy a new vehicle even if it is duty free? When you don't have the money to put groceries in your fridge, you don't know where your next dollar is coming from? Are you telling me that, that you can see any, and look, this next, after this next election, my God, what a mess. My God, what a mess. But let's look at this and you say, but if the Labour Party come in, what are they going to do? But let's look at the other side of the coin for a second. If Chastney wins, and he's already done this, and in his narcissistic mind, he figures whatever he's doing, he's right, or he has an excuse, or he's gotten cover, or he's gotten an endorsement from the public to continue to behave in the way that he has, how on earth will it get better for you or for anybody else? Huh? Tell me. Now, I understand that the phone network is down, so that does change things in terms of taking calls. I don't know if that's just in the Grosley area where we're located or in general with the service provider, but it's not on our end. But folks, I just wanted to lay it out for you that right now, and I've said it yesterday, I'm saying it again, we are depending on the same person who has put us in this position to call elections soon in the hopes that we will get a fair election so that we may vote him out. Now, if he knows that, Cambridge Analytica knows that, Nancy can sit down with Timothy this afternoon and know that, and all of the other operatives know that, don't you, do you think that they'll fight a fair election? Do you think there won't be attempts to stuff a ballot box or 10? Do you think that there won't be attempts to buy people institutional support? The same way that people cannot wear red and stand in a group, even if they're socially distanced or in a car. But they can have all kinds of activities this weekend. Do you really see this being fair? Folks, we have to stand up in creative ways. We now have to think of ways to mobilize within the framework of the law, even though when you are obeying the law, you still may get arrested like some people I know. So the point is, folks, are you ready to stand? And if you are, then we cannot just wait for an election. We need to put all of our supernumerical minds together and we need to come up with a strategy. Not a party strategy. It has to be bigger than the Labour Party or the UWP. A national strategy. How do we get the government to open up this economy and lift the state of emergency? How do we force them to give the stimulus to the people that desperately need it? How do we force them to govern at least with some modicum of national responsibility? And how do we get our land and our people back pointing towards the light as opposed to this abyss that these guys are hell-bent on staring us into while they parachute off with all of their golden passports and golden bank accounts and their escrow accounts overseas and live happily ever after in Canada and have their construction companies all over the region and their members and shareholders of Ojo Labs making money in Grenada and in the States and uh, horse, almost a China horse club. They are the member that became number 301. And then you stay there and you're just crying at your home, sitting down somewhere in Marsha, sitting down somewhere in Bonte, sitting down somewhere in Columbet, and you're saying, guys, sir, and we never held those guys accountable. Let's get them out. Then let's get them in the courts. Let's do what we need to do. Let's stop talking about it. And let's literally, after this weekend, start moving in lockstep. UWP, Labor, North, South, East, and West, let us mobilize ourselves let us come up with the basic core values that we need, the changes that we want. Hold anybody to ransom in the sense of making sure we get the constitutional reforms that we deserve and are overdue by both political parties and any new party coming in. And let us have the revolution of change that we need to have 
Let us make it happen. Now I'll leave you on a lighter note for all those to like Letla, which I love. Team RCI, hey! Well, I'm going to leave you with a Letlarious type story. It's a classic, but um, definitely it's always interesting to put yourself in the person's place when you get busted. Oh, by the way, before I go, Revolution T-shirts, I will be down in Viewfort tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., I will be doing the t-shirt drive, yes, the legal defense fund, because my first court case or first hearing is on the 23rd of this month, where I go up against the mighty police force who arrested me. Um, I'll be in Viewfort selling all the different colors and sizes of t-shirts down in Viewfort, and I will be in the Chanel's Congress, that is upstairs, the Chanel's Plaza, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., so I hope to see you there. Let's have a good time. So, let me leave you with Busted. Who's cheating? For you, baby, I could be. Who's being busted? Oh, no. On Classic 105 Overdrive. This is Chico from Classic 105. Yeah, okay. I got your email. Yes. Tell me, my dear, what's going on? Uh, well, I, uh, as I told you on the email, mm-hmm. I'm suspecting that uh, something is not adding up. Lately, my wife has been coming late. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime I ask her, she says, She's been uh, uh, going through some work errands. Mm-hmm. But her being in sales, I don't think uh, work goes on till that time, late at night. And what made me actually write you that email mm. is the text I got. I got a text saying something about her sleeping around and uh, having an affair with her boss. But I didn't want to carry it through. Who sent the text? I don't know, because when I tried to call that number back, mm-hmm. no one picked the phone. So, I don't know. Do you know um, this guy, what's his name? The boss? Uh, the boss is called Nicholas. Nicholas. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a married guy. He's married. Yeah. What's his wife's name? I only remember Mama Pat. Sour, but she, she doesn't know your wife very well, does she? Like, if I called and said I was her, would your wife know... I wasn't the one? I don't think so. I doubt. I, I don't think she would know her. Uh-huh. They, they don't know each other. It was a very short meeting. All right, so I'll just stay on the line. Right. Hello? Hello? Yes? Is this Agnes? Yes? This is uh, Nicholas's wife, your, your boss. Okay. I think we met last year sometime. Yes, we did. Now, the reason I'm calling is because of my husband. I have been hearing some things about you and him. Oh, well, what have you been hearing? I've been hearing that uh, your relationship is a bit more than just a working one. No, 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 no. That's not true at all. You're not having an affair with my husband? No. No, no I, no, I can't do such a thing. Now, Agnes, mm-hmm. there's something you need to understand. I haven't called you to fight with you. Mm-hmm. I haven't even called you to make any accusations. Mm-hmm. I've just called to give you some information which I think that is going to help you. You know, I am a saved woman. Mm-hmm. And I let the Lord guide me in all the decisions I make and everything I do. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason I am calling you. I'm just calling to warn you uh-huh. that my husband has been diagnosed with something very serious. What, what is it? 
It's HIV positive. Are you serious? He's positive. He has also infected me. I'm also positive. So when I heard that there's something maybe possibly happening with the two of you, I thought, oh no, not another person to to, oh to have to live like the way I'm living. Oh my God. So I ask you again, Agnes, are you involved with my husband? Oh my God. I don't know what to tell. Oh my God. I told you it's not a fight. I'm just concerned about you and your well-being. Oh my God. I don't... Oh my God. Now, have you been using any protection with him? Well... Oh my God. I suggest you go and get tested because... Oh no. I'm so sorry, but... Oh my God. That is the situation and I just wanted Junior to know. Oh my God. Oh. I'm even here with my doctor. Why don't you talk to him? He'll give you more information. Hello? Yes? Are you are you serious? Oh, who am I speaking? Agnes, Agnes are you serious? Oh my God. What? Stop saying oh my God. Are you serious? Oh. What? It's it's not what you're thinking. What do you mean? I've had everything. Oh my God. Well, I'm confused. What's going don't, on? Uh, don't talk to me like that. Uh, what? what? I, I, I don't know what's going on. Okay. Please. Okay, wait. 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 What? Oh my God. Busted on the Classic 105. Opinions expressed on this TV program by the host, co-host, guest, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions and responsibility of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of UTV or its affiliates.